Good morning, great men and women of God. I'm glad you guys are here, uh, and because you're here this morning and because I love you so much, I'm not going to tell any April Fool's jokes, although I will tell you what my son told me. He said, hey, Dad, I have a great idea for our church. We should have a community-wide Easter egg hunt, and when everyone shows up, we didn't put any eggs out. I was like, that would be funny. I don't know that's what we're going for as a church, but he was pretty excited about that. Um, so I'm not going to tell you any of those April Fool's jokes, but I do want to show you something this morning. I'm going to play a song for you, and I want to see when you recognize this song. Are you ready? Here it is. I know. I, I heard you. You were about to start, weren't you? What is that? Say something, no name. Um, I just want you to know I wanted to show more of that video, and they said, no, you got to, yeah, at some point you got to get to the message. So um, that, that is a song called what? Where the Streets Have No Name. It's by my favorite band, U2. Now, that's not my favorite U2 song, but it's my favorite introduction to a song ever. In fact, I am firmly convinced that when Christ returns, this was what was going to be playing. <laughs> I'm not even joking. There's going to be a trumpet, because I know that happens, and then right after, you're going to hear that music, and you're going to be looking around, what's going on, and then Jesus is going to run out, and we're going to go, there he is! I'm so excited for that. Now, the reason I like this song, though, is the, the, the words of this song speak to something very powerful. Listen to the opening words. I want to run... I want to hide. I want to tear down the walls that hold me inside. I want to reach out and touch the flame, what? Where the streets have no name. So when I listened to that song, I began to wonder, where are the streets that have no name? And I read it that Bono was inspired to write this song by his experiences in Belfast in Ireland. In this city, he said, you can tell someone's religion. You can tell someone's social status. You can tell someone's economic status. You can tell how much money someone has, all by the name of their street. And as you go up the hill in Belfast, the houses get more and more expensive. And if someone says, well, I live on so-and-so street, that tells you everything about them. 
And if they say, well, I live on this street down here, that also tells you everything about them. Life is all about the name of your street. Now, I look around our world today, and all I see are places where streets have names. Names like despair, and loneliness, and violence, and sickness, and hatred, and injustice. And we come in here this morning, and Jonathan gets up and says, he is risen, and we go, he is risen indeed, but then we walk out of here, and we don't see that. We see these streets. There's something inside of me that sees this kind of tension here, and I want to run, I want to hide, I want to tear down the walls. But what if, what if there was a place, maybe high on a desert plain, where the streets had no name? As one author imagines, what if it's a place where it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you come from, whether you live in a monster home suburb or in the inner city single room occupancy hotel? Where it doesn't matter if you come from, from Ramallah or Tel Aviv or Toronto or Tehran, whether you are black or white or brown, because in this city, those neighborhoods and addresses and ethnic class and national identities are all irrelevant. Well, the dividing walls are broken down. There's neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, single nor married, rich nor poor, because Christ is all and in all. I long for that city. And this Easter morning, I want to tell you a story about a place where the streets have no name. Now, this is a place that we not only hope for, but that we are called to point people towards. It's a place made possible because of the most important event in history. And as I share this story, I hope you hear that opening guitar solo calling you and inviting you to a bigger story than you ever imagined. And our story's going to begin today in an actual letter that was written in the first century, a letter to, it's called the, the book of Hebrews in your Bible. It's in the New Testament. And it was actually a letter that was written, and historians believe that this letter, Hebrews, was written not to just one church, but was to be circulated around to all the different Christians. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in the first chapter. You can also pull it up on your phone. That's totally cool here as well. Hebrews chapter 1 what was happening was many Jewish people had come to faith in Christ. And while it was okay under Roman law to say, I'm a Jew, it was not okay to say Christ is Lord. And so these guys were starting to say Christ is Lord, and they were beginning to get persecuted for that and facing off oppression. And many of them started to think maybe following Christ isn't all it was cut out to be. And so they were considering turning away from Jesus and going back to a less controversial faith. And so many people think the book of Hebrews was written to encourage these people, don't go back, don't give up. Jesus is better than any other option out there. And this letter starts off by talking and reminding us who Jesus is. It says in verse 1, in many ways, and by many means, God spoke in ancient times to our ancestors, in the prophets. But at the end of these days, he spoke to us in a son. Now, Pulp Rock, we've been talking the last few weeks about spiritual conversations, and one of the things we believe is that God has spoken to us. But here it says that God is finally, he's, he's talked and said things in many different ways, but he's finally summed up everything he ever wanted to say, not in a statement, but in a person, his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews goes on and says, he appointed this son to be the heir of all things. Through him, in addition, he created the world's. 
He is the shining reflection of God's own glory. He is the precise expression of his own very being. He sustains all things through his powerful word. He accomplished the cleansing needed for sins, and he sat down at the right of the majesty supreme. Jesus is the middle of it all. He's the middle of the story. And through him, worlds were created. But sadly, through us, worlds were corrupted. We started naming streets. We started dividing people. We stepped away from God. It's, it's like we were living in this beautiful mansion filled with beauty and food and wine and art and laughter and love and friendship. But then we started a fire that raged and engulfed the mansion. And now it still stands, but it's a shell of its former glory. And we're all stumbling about. We're soot covered. We're in the dark and we're squabbling over what's left. Yet even in the midst of this broken down mansion, there's still a maybe. Maybe on the other side of this grimy window, there is real joy. Maybe on the other side of this grimy, soot-covered window, there's something we can believe in. There's some hope. There's something that's going to be restored. Maybe this room isn't it. Maybe one day we could tear down these walls that hold us inside and we can step out into that sun. And Hebrews tells us that the maybe has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the shining reflection of God's own glory, the precise expression of his own very being. I love how N.T. Wright describes it. He says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking, he says, until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama that has him as the central character. That's the bigger story. And for a brief shining moment, some cracks shone through this window and it allowed the reality of a different world, of a better world, to come through the person of Jesus. He was the God we were looking for. And he showed up and he was supposed to fix it all. He started talking about hope. He started talking about joy. He called people to believe in him. And we had these, these little glimpses through this window of who God could be. This man, Jesus, was going to fulfill the promises. He was going to make right what once went wrong. He was going to tear down the walls. He was going to shelter us from the poison rain. He was going to show us a place high on the desert plain. But it turns out we loved our streets a little too much. And our welcome with waving palms became a flood of chants, crucify him. And we watched him hang on a tree our love turning to rust. And the, lights that had begun to, the light that had begun to spill through the cracks of this window began to fade, and we were left alone in the dark. And a few days later after his death, there was a couple that was journeying together on a lonely road, and they were talking about this, this incident, they were talking about this death and talking about what it meant, and they were just confused and upset and angry. They were the picture of gloom. And while they were walking, a stranger walked up to him and said, what are you talking about? And one of, these, uh, one of this person in this couple named Cleopas said this. He said, Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet. He acted with power. He spoke with power before God and all the people. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping he was going to redeem Israel. Saddest four words. But we were hoping. And then hope died. But here's what's wild if you know that story. Cleopas is sharing these words about Jesus with a stranger, and he doesn't realize that that stranger is in fact who? It's Jesus Christ himself. 
risen from the dead only a few hours before. So here's what I want you to kind of capture this image. The sun had begun to rise, but Cleopas couldn't see it yet. He was stuck in that burned out room in that broken down mansion. But right on the other side of the glass, close enough to touch, was the sun. He was right there. The resurrection had happened, but it hadn't yet hit Cleopas. He couldn't see the sun. So Jesus went on and began to share this bigger story with him. He began to share the story about how God saw this broken down mansion and determined he was going to do something about it. He shared the story of how God determined that his son would be the heir of all things. All things would come under him. And he began to share the story of how this son would restore and sustain all things. However, before the son could restore all things, he had to fix one thing. See, one of the biggest gut punches of our lives is when we come to a personal realization sitting in this burned out mansion that we lit the fire. I lit the fire. We snatched the flames and we became the ones burning down love. And we're living now in the ash of our own rejection of God. This is called sin. It's turning from God, turning from each other. And what good would it do for, for the son to come, the son who created the world, to recreate the world if all we were going to do is burn it down again? So there's a problem. So Jesus went on and explained to Cleopas that the son dying on the cross was all part of a bigger story. In his dying, we wouldn't have to. In his sacrifice, the son accomplished the cleansing that was needed for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And then Jesus, this couple still didn't know who he was, so then he did something amazing. He stopped sharing, and he started showing. Luke tells us, as he was sitting at table with them, he took out the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then the eyes of both of them were what? Opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. In all of his sharing, they couldn't recognize him, but in a simple act of showing, something broke loose, and it all made sense. The showing explained the sharing. Now, why am I, why am I telling you this story? Here's why. It feels like this world we're living in is walking down that road, a picture of gloom. And yet, we believe, and we're saying this morning, that right here, right on the other side of the glass is the sun, resurrected, rising, dawning. The resurrection was the opening act, the dawning of a kingdom that continues to rise, this sun that is going higher and higher until it's going to shine over and restore all of creation. That's the resurrection message we have for this world. The message we have is much, much bigger story than going to heaven or being saved. The story is so much bigger than that. Our story is summed up in three words. Our God reigns. Say that with me. Our God reigns. We believe he came to fix it all. His reign means that he's going to bring life as God intended on earth as it is in heaven that the good news of great joy for all people is that our God reigns and the sun is rising just on the other side of this sooty glass. See, the resurrection was something powerful. It wasn't, it was at both, at, at, at one time, it was both an announcement and a threat. It was good news to the poor and the captive and it was bad news to the oppressors. It was good news to those who were hungering for the dawn, and it was bad news to those who were keeping people in the dark. His kingdom is beginning, and the kingdoms of this world are ending. Enjoy it while it lasts, evil, pain, and suffering. 
The sun is rising and your night is coming to an end. When we say our God reigns, we don't mean that our God just reigns in this little piece of land called Pulpit Rock or, or well, maybe he just reigns in this piece or maybe we could take back a little more space for him. No, no, no. His reign is over nothing as small as heaven or as tiny as earth. His reign is utter and total, and the resurrection cracked the window. It has begun. Now, how confident is Jesus Christ that his resurrection accomplished what he thought it would do? He's so confident that Hebrews tells us after he was done, he did what? He sat down. That is a high level of confidence. That's like a final four forward taking the last second three-point game-winning shot and then turning around, not even watching it go in. I'm good. I know it went in. This is Jesus. He wasn't just announcing good news. He was announcing that he was the good news. His reign, like the dawning of the sun, can't be stopped. So Cleopas couldn't see it, even though it was right there. We can't often see it, even though it's right here. And the act of faith that we declare as people of resurrection is our God reigns. Doesn't always look like it, doesn't always feel like it, but that's what we believe. So how do we declare that? How do, how do we announce to this world that our God reigns? It's not by gathering in a building like this and all saying he is risen, he is risen indeed. They don't hear that. If you try this today, feel free to walk around different stores and shopping centers and just go up to people and say, he is risen. And they're going to go, who? <laughs> I actually saw a church that had ordered a sign that said Christ is risen. And when it was delivered, it was misprinted and it said Chris is risen. <laughs> and I thought they still should have put it up anyways because that's pretty impressive for Chris. <laughs> but for a lot of our world, that, that Christ is risen means as much as Chris is risen how do we declare that God reigns? Let me take you back to that grimy, ash-filled, burned-out room. Just on the other side, this breathtaking sunrise, the restoration of all things. But we're standing next to someone, we're telling them that, and they're saying, all I see is a pale glow coming through the cracks. What could we do? What if we cleaned the windows? What if, as people of the resurrection, one of the ways that we alerted people to the sunrise is we just began to clean the windows? What if it every day, in word and in deed, we share and show the sunrise? We share the story of the sunrises, like Jesus did. We walk the road with people. We tell them the bigger story, the story of how one day there will be a place, high on a desert plain, where the streets have no name. But we don't just share the story, we also show the story we build those streets with no names. We tear down walls. We show people what this kingdom will be like and the ways that we live and the things that we do. We show them what it's like. What does it look like on the other side of that window? What if we could really peek through and see a little bit more? Did you know that God actually let someone do that one time? His name was Isaiah, and he was one of those prophets that Hebrew says God spoke to hundreds of years before. And in Isaiah 61, Isaiah says, let me share with you what I saw when God opened the window just to crack. Listen to the sunrise. This is what it's going to look like. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness and release from darkness for the prisoners. Does that sound familiar? Maybe you've heard some of that before. It's because in one of the most famous moments that we know, 
is that Jesus, when one of the first times he stood up, this is the first public reading of scripture he did, he read this and he said, this is what I have come to do. He shared the sunrise with us, and then by the way he lived, he began to show the sunrise. Listen to the rest of this passage, because Jesus quoted it and said, this is what I've come to do. Isaiah says, let me show you what it's going to look like. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the, ben- the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities, thank you, that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. See, it's not just about this place. It's about who we're going to be in this place. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance, and so you inherit a double portion in your land. Everlasting joy will be yours. Why? Why does it look like that on the other side of this window? Because what we're seeing through this other side of this window is not just a place, but a person. Because this is who God is and who he's created to be. And he goes on and explains it. He says, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Hey, all the things that you hate about this world, God says, I hate it too, and I'm going to do something about it. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people, make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord is blessed. This is what's on the other side of the window. So we share this story with everyone, but we also show this story. And our window cleaning is guided by a very simple premise. If it's going to be true in the kingdom to come, we're going to show it in the world today. We, we show people what this kingdom is going to look like. We don't just talk about it. So we serve the poor because in the age to come, there will be no poor. We create art because in the age to come, there will be beauty. We work towards justice because in the age to come, everyone will get a fair deal. We rescue people from slavery because in the age to come, everyone will be free. We practice racial reconciliation because in the age to come, all tribes and tongues will worship together. We learn our neighbor's name because in the age to come, No one will be nameless. We share the truth about Jesus Christ because in the age to come, every knee will bow to him. We build homes in Haiti because in the age to come, no one will be homeless. We work towards safer schools because in the age to come, we will beat our swords into plowshares. We'll send a team of guys from our church to a single mother's home whose kitchen has been ripped up and there's plywood and nails everywhere and we rebuild that kitchen because in the age to come, no one's going to cook in a kitchen without a floor. We will give money towards a rescue mission because in the age to come, no one's going to need rescuing anymore. And we love one another because in the age to come, the streets aren't going to have any names. Now, we don't do this because we're building a better world. We're not the one making the sunrise. We're not doing this because we just want to make things happen. We're doing it to show people that's what the sun looks like. And we want people to go, oh, that's what Jesus meant. Oh, that's who God is like. Oh, that's what's going to happen. Oh, I get it now that I see it. You broke the bread. Jesus shared the sunrise and he showed the sunrise every day. 
He taught the kingdom and he lived the kingdom. And people saw it and they believed. And if we're going to be people who say we believe in a resurrection, then we're going to be people who are going to say we're going to follow him in word and deed and we're going to show the sunrise too. Now let me close with this. Great men and women of God, I know the streets of this world look so dark and dirty. And sometimes we, we come here maybe on a Sunday morning or we read our Bible or we talk with others and we just get these little glimpses of light shining through. But the sun is rising. And through the words we share and the deeds we show, we wipe a little bit more of that window clean. And the resurrection sends us to journey with people to tell them that when I go there, I will go there with you. It's all I can do. This morning, will you see the sunrise? Will you believe that even though you and I tried to burn it all down, God still reigns? Will you put your faith in this sunrise that you can't fully see? His name is Jesus Christ. Death could not hold him. The veil tore before him. He silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring to the praise of his glory, for he is raised to life again. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever, our God reigns. His is the kingdom. His is the glory. His is the name above all names. See him today. Trust him today. Have hope. And then let's clean some windows. Pray with me. Jesus, even though you didn't show up the way that we wanted or we expected or we hoped, and it sure didn't look like you were doing much. Your resurrection sealed the deal. It reminded us that you do reign, and it was the beginning of a sunrise that cannot be stopped. I pray this morning we would believe and trust in the name of Jesus Christ. That we'd be people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we would share that story as we tell people what we believe and why we have hope. And we would show that story as we clean windows in the various ways and places you've called us to so we can show people just what you're up to and what it looks like when our God reigns.